0: This is Ira Glass of This American Life, and you're listening to PF's Tape
1: Recorder. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, it's comedian Ben Glebe.
0: It was interesting to see how little people talk about Trump around the country, how the issues that matter to them are not often as much about this existential threat because people are so bogged down by their day-to-day details and that they need healthcare. care. Health care was the, one of the biggest things that people complained about, not having good health care or having too expensive coverage or not being able to pay for it at all.
1: Last year, Ben Glebe properly ran for president. And this isn't like a Pat Paulson thing. Uh, who's Pat Paulson, PF? Uh, ask your dad or maybe your grandfather. But anyway, no, he ran for president for real, uh, stopped his campaign in December 2018. He explains why. And we had a great conversation about, uh, you know, politics, current events and things like that. In addition to uh, what Ben is doing stand-up-wise these days, we have a song of the week coming up from Cage the Elephant. And first, as always, a dumb bit. Haven't done one of these in a while. It's Facebook, not Factbook. So my wife's uncle, a nice bloke, uh, he does. Obviously, he's the average older Facebook user. Uh, doesn't post a lot of political stuff. Mostly posts pictures of old cars. Uh, his family is very proud of his kids and grandkids and stuff, and rightly so. All lovely people. Uh, big Star Trek fan. I dig that. We always talk about that whenever we get together at family gatherings. In fact, he named his son uh, Kirk in honor of Captain Kirk. I thought that was just a coincidence. And my wife's like, no, he properly named Kirk his name because of Captain Kirk. So anyway... Um, so I'm going through my news feed, and I come across uh, this little nugget uh, that he has shared. It's from a fellow named Jim Carter. It's actually dated August 19th, 2013. So it's, uh, it is actually, what, seven years old now? And... Uh, it's involving the uh, whole Jane Fonda controversy from Vietnam a couple of years ago, and this guy begs you, if you've never forwarded anything, please forward this. And of course, it's pretty much a takedown of, of Jane Fonda. The, the, if you don't, if you don't know the whole story, look it up. She went over to Vietnam, North Vietnam, to visit, which was, uh, which by the way, she later uh, regretted doing. But I'll get to that in a second. And uh, the kernel of the story, as it were, is that she was visiting some American POWs. They slipped her some names or something, some information, which she then immediately turned over to the North Vietnamese. Uh, And uh, one of the gentlemen is named Jerry Driscoll. He was a pilot, and uh, apparently he was uh, beaten so badly after that that he lost his vision.
2: But there is a problem with this story. The story you probably all heard is uh, referencing me and uh,
1: Larry Kerrigan. That's actual Jerry Driscoll speaking. It's via C-SPAN. I don't know where exactly he was speaking. It was at some sort of uh, a political gathering of some sort, and someone asked about the Jane Fonda thing, and he stood up and told this story.
2: And uh, there was also a civilian involved with it. Supposedly, uh, we had a meeting with uh, Jane Fonda, and... uh, one of us, supposedly myself, passed her a slip of paper with some names and everything, and she turned that that slip of paper over to the Vietnamese, and as a result, uh, let's see, if I can remember what the story goes, that uh, I was severely beaten, as was Larry, and to the point where uh, uh, I'd lost part of my eyesight or something, and I couldn't fly anymore. But those of you who know me, Uh, know that that wasn't true because I completed 24 years in the Air Force uh, retired uh, flew for American Airlines for uh, 12 and a half years retired and I'm still flying uh, the world's fastest business jet the Citation 10 for another company but uh, so obviously the story is not true (laughs) folks the story about Larry Kerrigan and me is totally bogus How it first came about, I think the first time I saw it, was about uh, five or six years ago, as I recall. And it concerned uh, Jane Fonda being nominated as one of the 100 uh, uh, best women of the 20th century, uh, or something like that, okay? Uh, The latest iteration that I have seen, which uh, has occurred about a year ago, uh, showed a picture of uh, Jane uh, in a AAA site which obviously is true, but then it just, then it progresses down again to the story about her nomination of the 20th century best women and everything else like that, and it continues with the old story. This story has taken on a life of its own. It is not true. It has come across the internet from everywhere. If you ever receive it in your email, please, I beg you, do not pass it on and tell whoever you got it from to not pass it on, and also try to tell them, whoever they got it from, to not pass it on. <laughs> so we can at least slow it down. I doubt if we'll ever kill it, but please, I beg you, do not pass it on. It is not true. Okay? Thank you. I
1: Right at the end there, you hear this guy, say, uh, pipe up and say, well, she's still a traitor, though, and we'll discuss that in just a second, because uh, you you may have a point there uh, slightly. But what I was going to say was, there's actual Jerry Driscoll there telling you that the story is a bunch of jibe, and that's from 2002, and the story gets embellished later, weirdly, uh, because people start adding this thing that Oh, President Obama is going to honor her as one of the hundred uh, best women. No, no, that happened back in the 80s. Uh, Barbara Walters honored Jane Fonda as one of the hundred best women. I don't know if it was the century or of all time or or whatever. And uh, so that was that. And at the time, she said she expressed a little bit of regret going over there, maybe thinking it wasn't. She was against the war, as a lot of people were, as a lot of people, as it turned out, were right about, by the way. But she still said, well, maybe going over there wasn't the greatest idea. And she realized in hindsight that actually, you know, this the, the things she did, she thought that were innocuous actually did hurt a lot of veterans and people like that. So she, you know, she said she was sorry about that. But none of this other stuff is true. It's all a bunch of jive. And uh, look, I'm not a big Jane Fonda fan. I liked her in, uh, what was it, nine to five? Uh, a big fan of her niece, uh, but like the other Fondas, just fine. So I've got a no wax to grind here, a pro Fonda axe to grind. But again, you know, just the whole Facebook not fact book thing it invites me to, to clarify uh, the record here. And, um, I can't believe this is still getting passed around, and people just don't believe in it. So anyway, yeah, if you want to be mad at her for going and you don't accept her apology for going, fine. That's perfectly within your right, and I, I get that. That's not completely unre- – well, it's a little unreasonable, but it's not – I understand it. Uh, but here's the thing I don't understand, and I'm not 100% sure where people are or who they voted for on this, but I'm pretty sure people passing this rumor around voted for a particular guy in the last presidential election, and it was a guy that said this.
0: He's a war Five and hero. A half years he's a, a war hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? I hate to tell you. <laughs> Do you, you agree with that? Hero. He's a war hero because he was captured, okay? You can have, and I believe perhaps he's a war hero, but, but right now he said some very bad things about a lot of people.
1: That, of course, President Donald Trump, or then-candidate Donald Trump, uh, speaking about the late Senator John McCain, probably uh, the most famous Vietnam War hero uh, when you think about it, who, uh, according to Donald Trump, probably he's not a war hero because he got caught. Now, can you imagine President Trump going over to Vietnam? Of course not. He got out of the war because he had bone spurs. But anyway, can you imagine him going over there to visit? And he'd have been like, I don't like you guys. You guys got captured. So uh, he, he, would, he probably would have turned him over faster than the North Koreans than Jane Fonda did. These guys got captured. They're not heroes. They're losers. You keep them. So anyway, God, seven, well, more than seven years on because Jerry Driscoll says it's been floating around the Internet for years, and he said that in 2002. And, uh, of course, that was pre-Facebook. And, uh, of course, now we just need to remind people again. It's Facebook, not Factbook. Ben Glebe's a stand-up comedian originally from Los Angeles, California. You may have seen him on Chelsea Lately on the Roundtable back when that was on. As host of the game show Idiot Test on Game Show Network, now on Netflix, or maybe just headlining a club or theater somewhere across this vast country of ours. Here now is our interview with Ben Glebe. <laughs> Well, I guess a good place to start is, uh, what's new with you, man? I see you just ended your uh, candidacy for president of these United States.
0: That is a fact. So that has been not the most chill last eight months of my life, but um, that journey has come to a close. So I'm looking forward to getting back to a life of comedy Hmm. and making people laugh and not yelling politics at them. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so what caused you to uh, wrap up the campaign? We just
0: ran out of a path forward really. We, uh-huh. You know, our, we tried to climb a near impossible hill without having any sort of elected office background, never ever run a campaign before uh-huh. and we ended up the 15th highest fundraising active democratic campaign when we closed shop but we just had pennies compared to the political machines that we were competing against. And even Kamala Harris had to drop out because she didn't have enough millions. Yeah. We didn't even have that luxury. So we just ran out of a very viable path and the mainstream media and even the late night shows just blacked us out the almost the entire time. So we were trying to, fight without the benefit of media exposure or huge money, and we just weren't able to keep fighting.
1: Well, it's crazy how much money you need, even just to run like for local, like a trustee of our township here, just to get the word out that you're on the ballot. You know, you've got to get signs made. You've got to somehow get into the the, the papers here. Think, it, it's crazy. Yeah,
0: even for like rep in Congress, it's like a million dollars.
1: Yeah. It's not more. Uh, a guy, um, a friendly without in Northern California, uh, my wife and I just became f- – my wife and his wife, we all became friends. We just were waiting in line at a buffet at the old um, – uh, they've changed the name of it now. It's now the link, I think they call it. Anyway, uh, he ended up – he ran for Congress against Dianne Feinstein. He was one of like 15 people. I think he finished 14th, you know. Tried to do it oh, the old-fashioned geez. way, handshaking, standing out in front of City Hall, like trying to get his name out. And of course, you know, what chance do you have against Diane Feinstein? That's crazy. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's the crazy thing. We need term limits so badly, and we need to get the money out of our politics even more urgently. We just cannot continue having a healthy democracy. We already don't have a healthy one, but we can't continue yeah. having one at all if we don't take... All of the big money out there 's just no reason in a in a structure that 's supposed to be of the people that we literally only really listen to the people with fast stacks in their pockets it 's
1: embarrassing and it 's very dangerous, yeah, because you know they 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 don 't have your interest at heart. <laughs> They I mean, have the opposite the best the best you exactly can do fine. is find maybe some more than others slightly have a conscience and that's probably about the best we can do
0: that's exactly right and they'll be able to make marginal changes occasionally when the big business interests give some concessions just to make it not incredibly obvious what they're doing but otherwise there's no reason we wouldn't be much more aggressively tackling climate change and gun violence and and the huge income and wealth gap and the healthcare enormous crisis of millions not having insurance would obviously be making huge strides towards all of that every day in our government. If it weren't for big money, money backed lobbies fighting as hard as possible and having influence over our lawmakers, you should be able to lobby, but you shouldn't be able to lobby with money behind it.
1: It's pretty, it's pretty disgusting yeah uh, just give me one second. doing an interview, Liza okay. <laughs> my daughter's got home from school um yeah i was while well, I was working uh on some other stuff here before I called you, I just happened to have uh, the Morgan Spurlock documentary on Super Size me but pluto t v runs it um And, uh, same thing, you know, they, they, these big money companies come in and run the school lunch programs and they have no interest in selling vegetables and fruits and things like that that they don't normally carry. They, their job is to, and they're these, they're the exact same companies that also feed our prisoners. If if that gives you any idea of, so I'm, I'm certain that movie's seven years old, but you know, I just spent a day
0: on the campaign trail in state prison, um, hanging out with people who have been incarcerated for most of them, most of their lives, you know, from 20 to 40 years, some of these people. And I had lunch there and the food was pretty terrible. And that's what we're feeding the young growing bones of America's youth. So when you're feeding food as a punishment, it shouldn't be the same food that you're feeding. I
1: know. Yeah, I mean, the food should be crappy in prison. I get that it shouldn't be unnutritious. You know, it's because that's the thing people don't understand about even with like cancel culture and all that and stuff. It, it, you can't have this. You can't have the death penalty for everything. <laughs> you know,
0: There's, that's exactly right. And that's so, what everybody that's wants. So well said.
1: Yeah. Um, I think,
0: and I just you know say that jokingly. Our food for our prisoners should be a lot better too, because they have to be correctional facilities. We have yeah. to teach people that they're being locked up pay for their crimes, but that we hope they re enter into society at some point. Right. Well and it needs to be a much more rehabilitative facility. I was in, it was a pretty intense thing being there and seeing what life is like <laughs> to these guys.
1: Well, one of the things that Spurlock showed was a, um, a, a a home in Appleton, Wisconsin, for at-risk youth, and they don't have a private company doing the food. They do they actually have nutritious food for the kids, and they're like, once they introduce that, the behavior problems just yeah. nosedive, and these kids are all doing great and making huge strides. Well, maybe if we feed our prisoners properly, when they get out, and those maybe those habits will stick, and that'll be you know at least one thing you know a positive in their favor to where they won't uh, you know wind up back in the joint. Exactly. Yeah, but a pretty heady conversation so far. Uh, <laughs> so, <It's a> pretty <laughs> hilarious conversation, right? This is the kind of jokes you'll be seeing at my shows, right? <laughs> and at the Mall of America. Yep. Yeah. Uh, well, since you've ended the campaign, though, is did, did did it change your set before or after? Were you you know more talking more politics in the actual your actual set or less because you were out doing it you know otherwise or how did how did that work? Right.
0: Um, It didn't change it very drastically. I definitely do a chunk in every hour on politics, but it's not very much, and it didn't change that very much. Um, In general, I've been trying to curse less. That's just because Jay Leno yelled at me about how much (laughs) I was cursing in my act. (laughs) So I've been trying to clean up my language. Other than that, it doesn't change it very much. Um, I definitely have a very unique perspective now that I'm excited to share with the crowd and very uh i've had a look at the at the country that most are not so privileged to be able to see and so it's given me a different perspective on many of my jokes and on many of my thoughts and on the problems we face and on cancel culture and on social media and that's influencing my jokes but there's not that much political in the act sometimes there's none sometimes there's Five or ten minutes, but it's generally still a lot of observational comedy, and it's a lot of making fun of people in the audience. I'm still doing a good amount of crowd work, and I'm also sharing more personal stories than I ever have before as
2: well.
1: Well, that's and I guess you know as you've gotten older, of course you've you know it was with most people you you start to build up uh you know, you've built up a life built in built up a life of uh, you know of experiences <laughs> versus when you're in your twenties and it's all about hey. Partying, and drinking, girls, <laughs> you know, because that's that's, that's exactly our world. Right. That's our world when when we're that age. Um, yeah. Suddenly, I'm telling jokes about how my girlfriend and I are
0: failing at our diet and living on the couch, and how we don't walk the dog anymore, and how we're just debating how long we could live on the couch. If we had to. <laughs> so, it definitely your perspective definitely changes quite a bit. It's been it's been weird to see.
1: I guess like you're saying, you know, being that you travel the country a lot, I guess you do get uh, a unique perspective uh, on America. Do you, when you're in towns, do you, I know some people, some comics I talk to, they, they love to stay in the hotel and just stay around the hotel and just relax and then, you know, intensely attack that hour on stage. And other, you know, I like to wander around and check things out. Or some people, they've been to a town a couple times, are like, eh, I've been to Minneapolis or Detroit so many times, I don't need to see it anymore. What do you kind of do these days?
0: It depends on the town, because I've been to Minneapolis so many times, but I generally like to try to explore whenever I can, whenever I can. That's why I also try to travel with a feature act That's a friend of mine whenever I can. And this trip, I'll be coming with the very funny Ken Gar, who actually worked on my campaign with me, and he's a great comedian. And... He also, he's a divorced guy and has a very funny perspective about that and also about being sent into a war zone, entertaining the troops, and has some really interesting perspective. But I like to go out and have experiences. And, and um, but historically, it'll just be I'll go and do a touristy thing or I'll see or I'll go eat at the restaurant people recommend. But from the campaign on, I started instead of that, just focusing more on talking with the people and people in each town and having lunch with people and seeing the organizations that are trying to make a difference in their communities. And I plan to keep that up as best I can. I want to still talk to people in each different town and see the things that people are proud of and try to get a real sense of what the town is all about, not whatever tourist attraction was hot. 20 years ago.
1: Yeah. Did, did it surprise you in talking to people that you know, people felt a certain way than maybe you thought they would feel in maybe a particular part of the country or in a particular situation?
0: Yeah, I was surprised to see that a lot of farmers were a lot <laughs> more patient with Trump's tariffs on China um, than I expected, even though it was directly affecting them in a pretty negative way, they were willing to sacrifice a bit to see if we could fix our trade imbalance. That was interesting to me. Um, I still think tariffs are a wrong idea because we pay the price, but...
1: Ultimately, yeah. But
0: ultimately, I thought it was cool that they were willing to sacrifice to see the scales balanced a little bit differently. Um, and I was. it was interesting to see How little people talk about Trump around the country, how the issues that matter to them are not often as much about this existential threat because people are so bogged down by their day-to-day details and that they need health care. Health care is one of the biggest things that people complained about, not having good health care or having too expensive coverage or not being able to pay for it at all um, is one of people's biggest concerns. Um, and just overall, I was very happy to see that people seem pretty happy. I was seeing a bit of a skewed sample because i 'm seeing people that you know are that have the time and the wherewithal to engage in the political process so it's not i 'm not seeing the most you know downtrodden um during that experience, but even when I got to spend time visiting homeless shelters and Veteran centers of people struggling with PTSD still even from the Vietnam War how happy most people are how positive their outlook is Because I think the one thing that we still have very much going for us That nobody can take away is the American dream. We still have the hope that tomorrow will be better and I think that gives people a pretty Happy disposition overall
1: Yeah, cause I think people want to be optimistic certainly you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's all
0: you got. Hope. True. Yeah, yeah, that's all you got. Exactly. And yeah, I tried to bring people hope in my campaign, and they decided to, to look elsewhere, which is quite all right. So I get to at least go back to bringing people the other joy of laughter, and if I can't bring that, then my optimism will be crushed as well. But I feel pretty confident that's the one thing I've been able to successfully do for a couple decades now is have an audience come out and see my show and just make them laugh so hard for an hour that they forget about any problems they have. and They just sit there in in extreme joy for an hour and and just laugh hard. Plus, you burn some calories, which is nice.
1: There you go. Yeah. So if you had to handicap the race now, uh, how do you think this whole thing shakes out in 2020?
0: It's really hard. I don't know. I'm really at a loss for it. People keep asking me who I'm endorsing, and... I like a lot of the candidates, but I just still don't know who has the best shot to beat Trump. And the whole reason I ran is because we need to think out of the box with out of the box strategies in how to beat him. And I just am unconvinced thus far that anybody has the magic formula that's going to be able to do it. A lot of candidates have a fatal flaw, so I like Warren and Bernie and Buttigieg but I think they each have problems. I think that Cory Booker's great, but he's getting no traction. And he's maybe being too nice for this particular era in politics. And then, while I kind of resent at the core of what our politics are not supposed to be, the two billionaires, Bloomberg and Steyer, buying a spot. I like their careers overall, and I like that they don't seem to have a huge law in what might be able to take down Trump. So my field is pretty wide open right now. And I'm really curious to see who starts shining during this last month before Iowa. And I probably will even wait until after the Iowa caucus to endorse somebody because I want to see who it looks like has the best ability to win elections, to get votes and to handle maybe not finishing first in the best way to handle the pressure better. Um, I'm a, I, I really don't know. I think our future is kind of a crapshoot right now.
1: And then, then for you for 2020, now that you're out of the race, how closely do you think you're going to be involved with the uh, with the race uh, versus focusing on your, you know, getting back to focusing on your career?
0: Well, a little bit of both. I'll be very focused on my career again. I recommitted myself to doing my podcast last week on Earth every week again. So I've not been able to do in the recent couple of years, much. Um, So, I'll be summarizing the world and our politics and pop culture and all of it every week. So, we have a chance to have a conversation together and to laugh at the absurdity of all of it. Um, I'll be pitching a new show soon. I'll be touring all over the country with my new stand up act. But I also will be trying to get the Telethon for America 2020 happening, an event I created in 2018. Oh, that's right. Help be- us. To help us create historic voter turnout, which we helped achieve, have the best turnout in the country since 1914 and best ever among youth. And we plan to create, and we we plan to bust all those records in 2020. I'll hopefully be able to create an event that's even more star studded than having Charlize Theron, Natalie Portman, Jane Fonda, Amy Schumer, Ray Romano, Julie Louis Dreyfus, Pete Davidson, Chelsea Handler, and more. We're going to top that we're going to get it on TV and make sure that we all go out and vote and make sure that we have so many people at those polls that we drown out the influence of all Russian bots. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, um, and I will definitely be offering my services to help whatever candidate emerges as the nominee to make sure we beat Trump because we have to unify It's not an issue of Republican versus Democrat this time in our history. It's right versus wrong. It's good versus evil. That's the way I see it. This guy is an existential threat to everything America stands for and his enablers in Congress are as well. And so we have to join forces to stand for what's right.
1: Well put, hopefully we can get the, the, the people behind this, uh, this time around. I um, hope so. Yeah. And if not,
0: we'll, we'll just laugh our asses up as the ship
1: sinks. There you go. <laughs> because that's all we'll have left. But yep. Um, well, great, man. Appreciate you taking the time. I uh, know you got a lot of other stuff to do. So um, like, as always, this will be in print and online uh, the week you're in Minneapolis there. And uh, and also, as always, we'll hope you get to back. Have you been to Cincinnati before? I can't remember. I think you have been were years ago, weren't you? I've been
0: since then, but I don't know if I've done comedy there.
1: Okay, well then uh, we need to get that corrected. I'll uh, I'll I'll put the uh, the bug in the ear of the Booker at our uh, at our one club here, and let him know. And I'll. What's the club called? Go bananas.
0: Oh, go bananas! Yes, I did play it many years ago. I did a weekend, literally in
1: like two thousand
0: and five. Okay. Something with Burt Kreischer. Oh, and okay. ADF yeah, yeah. Three of us did the virtual comedy heroes tour. Okay, cool. Well, I and will... We go, uh, headline to, go headline, I think, just one night and go bananas.
1: Okay. Well, I'll mention that to the booker, and I'll give him your email, and you guys can maybe arrange it from there. <laughs> I appreciate
0: that. Thank Super. you
1: so much. Great, man. Well, good talking to you again, buddy. Same here. And also, please
0: just mention that people can watch my my game show, Idiot Test, on Netflix. It's currently on there. It was just trending on there recently. Oh, cool. Am I... And my hour special, Narada Gangster, is on Amazon Prime. So All right. um, now that the politics is done, people have a chance to actually just sit back and laugh at me, which is what I like best.
1: Oh, cool. We like a good game show. Great. Uh, my wife and I will check it out then. Cause I'm, I remember seeing a few episodes back in the day. Uh, but um, yeah, we'll definitely, uh, now that we need something to binge, so this this will be a good, something light. Uh, so well, that would be way. perfect. Awesome. Well, great, man. All right. Well, we'll talk to you again soon then. Thanks, Pia. Thanks, Ben. Bye. <laughs> Thanks again to Ben Glebe for being on the show. You can catch Ben February 27th through March 1st in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada at the Comic Strip there in the West Edmonton Mall. And uh, for all of your other Ben Glebe needs, go to benglebe.com and Glebe is G L E. I B. So there you have it. All right. So uh, we've come up to the song of the week, and the song of the week. I just I was just going through, it as usual, going through Freegal, as I always do, looking for free music, and I see Cage the Elephant. I'm like, wait, does Cage have something new out? And yes, they do. It's a tune uh, that they are doing with one Iggy Pop, and uh, it is a cracking tune. Let me tell you. I, it, when I very first heard, I was kind of like, yeah, this is okay. And the second time I heard, I'm like, this is fantastic. It's weird how songs do that sometimes. Anyway, uh, this one is called Broken Boy. and like that it features one Iggy Pop, the Ignatius one, as they say. And uh, I think you're really going to dig it. Uh, it's really a, a, a more of a rocker. You know, Cage can be a bit jammy sometimes, you know. But uh, this is more of a straightforward rocker. And, of course, you know, with Iggy Pop on board, how could it not be? So here you are, uh, Cage the Elephant, track of the week on PS Tape Recorder. So long and thanks for listening.